This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Sarah Medeiros. Welcome back to EM Pulse, and happy summer to those of you in the Northern Hemisphere. We hope you're finding some time to relax. Now, we've talked before about the benefits of screening for HIV in the ED. If you missed it, go back and check out our March 2020 episode, This is Hope. Testing, treatment, education, and other resources are all making a difference, but there are still tens of thousands of new cases in the U.S. each year and one to two million new infections worldwide. Clinical trials are currently underway for a potential HIV vaccine, which is super exciting, but even if it's successful, it could be years before a vaccine is available to the public. In the meantime, let's explore a tool we already have access to to help reduce HIV infection and transmission. Pre-Exposure Prophylaxis, or PrEP. And joining me today is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Kasner. He's an emergency physician at Mount Sinai and Holy Cross Hospitals in Chicago and part-time faculty at the University of Missouri at Kansas City. So thanks for being here, Mike, and let's jump right into it. What is PrEP? Sure. So most emergency physicians are probably more familiar with PEP, or post-exposure prophylaxis, you know, following something like a potential HIV exposure with a needle stick injury, et cetera. PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. So in somebody who is HIV negative, they'll regularly take a medication to prevent the transmission of HIV. And there are actually a few different options for this, all of which are evidence-based, which is really exciting. So tell me about those options. What kind of meds are we talking about? So there are actually currently three medication options, uh, two of which are oral daily meds, and the other, a more recently approved one, is an intramuscular injection. So the one that's been used the longest is called tenofovir or decyproxol fumarate m trisidabine, or more easily said by its trade name, Truvada. That's the one that's been around the longest. A few years ago, tenofovir alafenamide m trisidabine was made available. That's more commonly known as Descovy. And then the third option, uh, carbotegravir, was recently FDA approved in December of 2021. Carbotegravir is also known as Apertude. Uh, and this is actually an intramuscular injection that patients would take every eight weeks. Okay, so we have these great medications. Who are the candidates for PrEP? People who are candidates for HIV PrEP are going to be those who are considered high risk, who also are going to be compliant to medication adherence. It's really important for people on PrEP to be taking it regularly in order for it to be as efficacious as studies have shown. The studies that have been done have shown that HIV PrEP can be up to greater than 96% efficacious if taken more than four days per week, and almost 100%. Those studies were in men who have sex with men. In women, it's not as efficacious, but those studies still show that it's pretty good, greater than 90%. So the people that you're going to be considering for this are high-risk individuals. Classically, men who have sex with men, transgender women who have sex with men, Injection drug users, sex workers, and sex worker clients would be the people that are more commonly considered candidates for PrEP. But now actually more heterosexual people are also being considered. So when a physician has evaluated somebody for PrEP, it's really important to, to learn a lot within their social history. So particularly sexual history, obviously, is going to be very important. So high-risk behavior within sexual history is considered condomless sex with more than one partner, using drugs during sex having a history of sexually transmitted infection, and then being in a serodiscordant relationship, which is basically when someone who is HIV negative, their partner is HIV positive, uh, particularly if that person has a detectable viral load. 
There's actually a little bit of an aside here, some really interesting studies that have been released in the past few years. One was called the Partners Study. The other is called the Partners 2 Study. In those studies, they looked at serodiscordant couples who, prior to the study, were regularly engaging in sex without use of condoms. This was both men who have sex with men, heterosexual partners, etc., they showed that if somebody who is HIV positive has an undetectable viral load, it was impossible for them to transmit HIV to their HIV negative partner. So that's really exciting that that development has, has come along. So it shows particularly, you know, in, uh, in serodiscordant couples, there's a lot available now to help protect the transmission of HIV. And I think that you said a little bit about this, but can you tell us a little bit more about how well this works? Yeah, so there have been a number of studies that have looked at uh, these different medications for HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis within different patient populations. So when we're talking about the efficacy, it really depends on the patient population being studied. The original studies, though, with the Truvada formulation of PrEP showed that if taken as prescribed, and in particular if taken as prescribed and using other barriers of prevention, so you know, wearing condoms, et cetera, et cetera, it reaches almost 100% efficacy. There are some cases of viral strains of HIV that are resistant to these medications, but that's really, really rare. So you know, can't say 100% exactly, but near 100%. One of the things that we had mentioned was that medication compliance is really important too. But even if somebody only takes their PrEP four times a week, and again, this is with the Truvada version, the studies I've looked at, it's still greater than 96% efficacious. So still really, really good, even if the patient forgets the dose from time to time. That's particularly for men who have sex with men, transgender women who have sex with men. They're not as efficacious for women or transgender men who participate in receptive vaginal sex, but they're still about 90% efficacious. So not, not as great, but still really, really good and obviously far better than prior options. Interestingly enough, so Truvada and Descovy are, there have been trials comparing the two of them, and Descovy being the second medication was shown to be non-inferior to Truvada. This newer medication, Carbotegravir or Apertude, the intramuscular version, there was a 2020 randomized controlled trial that compared Apertude against Truvada and actually had findings that were suggested of maybe superiority. So the trial was greater than 4,000 participants. Subjects enrolled in the trial either received the daily Truvada, so the oral medication, or they received the Carbotegravir, which is the intramuscular injection that the person is given every eight weeks or every two months. The trials actually stopped early because it reached its efficacy endpoint early and showed that maybe even this intramuscular injection might be superior. So amongst these 4,000 plus participants, in the Truvada group, 39 of them ended up contracting HIV. In the Carbotegravir group, only 13 participants contracted HIV. And this was an intention to treat analysis. So, you know, even if the person was enrolled and not taking the medication the way that it is prescribed, they were still included. So, you know, that's really exciting because when someone has challenges adhering to a medication regimen, you know, taking a pill every day can be really challenging for some people. Instead, getting an intramuscular injection every two months, that might be a whole lot easier, particularly, you know, if it's suggesting that maybe there's some superiority here. So obviously, more trials are going to have to be done to compare the two to, to really confirm that. But it's, it's a really great option for a lot of people that just became available. So these medications are great in terms of their efficacy and seems like a really good option for our patients. But what are some of the potential side effects? 
So fortunately, all of these medications are actually really well tolerated in most patients. Truvada, the first medication that was made available, has some renal effects and also can affect bone mineral density. So that's something that needs to be considered for patients. Discovy is kind of like the answer to that. So it has less effects on renal function. Both in the first few weeks, you know, maybe first four weeks or so of treatment can cause some GI side effects, so some nausea, some diarrhea, but that generally clears up after the first four weeks or so of being on treatment. Carbotegravir, on the other hand, causes more kind of like, I kind of think of them as like a post-vaccine kind of syndrome that we all got from the, the COVID vaccine. So things like headaches, fevers, fatigue, myalgias, rash, injection site soreness, those kinds of things. But again, I even looked for this. I was like, have there been any even case reports of, you know, severe toxicity of any kind? And I couldn't find any. So again, very well tolerated uh, amongst most people. What about any other potential downsides from, say, a public health perspective? So there have been folks who express concern that by being on PrEP, you might be encouraging higher risk sexual behavior than somebody might have previously engaged in, you know, particularly in the age of bacterial resistance with things like, you know, gonorrhea, chlamydia, et cetera, there's concerns there. And I think those, those are warranted. I'm not aware of studies specifically that have shown that just yet, but I think that is something to consider. So it's really important when somebody has started on PrEP, that the person prescribing it for them really has to impress upon them, you know, this is one more method in addition to your arsenal of like wearing condoms and not using drugs during sex and not sharing needles if you're an injection drug user and and those kinds of things. So I think there probably is concern that it does increase high-risk behaviors. But again, it's really, really important to educate patients that this is almost 100%, but still not 100% in the best cases. And obviously in other folks, it's not even as efficacious as that. Is there any concern about resistance developing to some of these medications if they are widely prescribed? There have been cases of people in these clinical trials who have contracted a strain of HIV resistant to the medication to begin with. And then there are really very few cases of the opposite happening where, you know, they're in, say, like a serodiscordant couple, the strain that the positive partner has all of a sudden becomes resistant to the medication for the negative partner. So there are cases it does happen, but it's, again, exceedingly rare. So a lot of our patients who would benefit from this may not have the means to pay for it. Is it covered by insurance or how much does it cost to actually get PrEP? So that's a really, really important question. And actually, it's kind of complex right now. So in July of 2021, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare, along with the Department of Labor and the Department of the Treasury, sent a memo or however they do it to insurance companies saying that HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis, as well as the maintenance kind of labs and visits that are associated with being on PrEP, should be provided free of charge for people enrolled in those insurance plans. There have been a lot of issues right now with insurance companies not adhering to that, and there, you know, there's a variety of reasons why. But if somebody is insured, it should be covered for them. Now, obviously, particularly in the emergency department, we often see people who are not insured. But there are programs out there that help provide this medication free of cost or very near free of cost for them. So with Truvada and Descovy in particular, the manufacturers of those medications have copay cards that will help reduce the cost 
essentially to zero for most patients who are started on those medications. Then there's actually uh, a program that's called the Ready, Set, Prep program that if somebody qualifies for that, they can receive PrEP as well as the associated care, again, free of charge. So there are, there are ways out there to help reduce the cost because otherwise out of pocket, these drugs are really, really expensive. So Truvada, there is a generic form now, but Truvada out of pocket and Discovy out of pocket, they're about $1,800 and $1,900 a month, which for basically everybody I think is, is crazy uh, and, and really cost prohibitive. And then Carbotegravir is even higher. So that's roughly per dose. So again, very cost prohibitive. But the importance is is to know that there are programs out there and help get patients plugged into those programs. And then hopefully with, you know, this mandate being put out by the federal government, hopefully in the near future, insurance companies will kind of figure this out so that everybody who is a candidate for PrEP has the option uh, of receiving it and not being charged for it. Now, you and I are both ED physicians. Is this something you would ever prescribe from the ED, or do you think that we should, as emergency physicians, be prescribing PrEP? So as emergency physicians, I don't think we should be prescribing PrEP, and there's a few reasons for that. So foremost, before somebody is started on PrEP, they need to have some tests done. So renal function, obviously, is important to test. They're going to need a panel of STIs. Obviously, they need to be tested for HIV. And I think that last one is kind of where it would be very tricky for somebody in the ER to prescribe PrEP. So most of us, I think, in the emergency department maybe have access to a screening option for HIV, but we don't have that confirmatory testing, right? So that's going to be important because if somebody is actually HIV positive, then they shouldn't be started on PrEP for obviously reasons. Now, there's treatment for HIV itself to help suppress the viral load is different from these formulations for pre-exposure prophylaxis. So I think in general, we shouldn't be the ones prescribing it. That being said, I think it's important for emergency physicians to know about this because we have the ability to empower patients with this knowledge, right? A lot of times patients who don't have access to a primary care provider come to us for primary care type needs. And if we, in learning you know, about that patient, you find out, hey, this person might actually be a great candidate for PrEP, like maybe this is their fourth visit for an STI this year, or maybe they've divulged to me that they are engaging injection drug use. You can inform them, did you know that this medication exists? And then if you know the resources in your area can help get them that follow-up to get those tests done, to then be started on PrEP once it's confirmed that they are HIV negative, et cetera. And for most of us, I think it really is going to be about those local resources. Are there any national resources or anywhere that people can get more information? Knowing your local resources is going to be huge, particularly, you know, what primary care doctors are in your area that prescribe it, or if you're not even aware of those, you know, sexual health clinics, I think in general at this point, probably are all most comfortable prescribing this. LGBT centers in your city might be a great option as well. The nice thing about those is they often have kind of what I would call circumferential care for their patients. So getting them plugged in with other social resources because things like access to housing and food stability, et cetera, also put somebody at higher risk for contracting HIV. If all else fails and you're really not sure what the resources are in your area, HIV.gov actually has a search bar at the top of the page that you can put in your city or your zip code. 
and it will show either you or your patient resources in the area that can get them plugged in with HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis and on top of that, other healthcare as well. Mike, anything else you think we should know? I think there's a few things that's really important to keep in mind. Sarah, you and I trained at the same place for residency, and I, I know a lot of our faculty there would often talk about what it was like to be living in Los Angeles during the height of the AIDS epidemic. Now we're in this age of medicine where you know, HIV is no longer a terminal diagnosis that is going to ultimately lead to AIDS. It's a condition now that people can live normal, long, healthy, happy lives. However, in the United States, there are still roughly 32,000 people a year contracting HIV. And a lot of that has to do with lack of access to resources, lack of education. In the United States, most recently, I think it was in 2018, it showed that there are about 130-ish thousand people on HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis. However, there are 1.2 million people in the United States alone that would be considered eligible for it. So again, empowering people with that education and knowing that the HIV epidemic is not over yet, particularly worldwide, there are millions of cases every year. But even in the United States, there are still people contracting HIV. There's a lot of folks who are unaware of HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis or don't have access to it. So particularly vulnerable populations, so African-American or Black people, people of Hispanic heritage, uh, women who would be candidates for HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis might not be aware of it. And then, you know, one of the most important things is educating younger people. So between the period of 2003 to 2014, in adolescents and young males who have sex with males, so ages 13 to 24 years old, the incidence of new infections increased 43%. So that shows that we have a long way to go in the fight against HIV in terms of empowering our patients and educating them about the options that exist for them. I do think it will be possible one day to live in a world without HIV. It's something I'm passionate about both professionally and uh, outside of work, but we have a ways to go. And so the biggest things are for us to be aware of these options, for us to make our patients aware of these options, and then to help get them plugged in to the care that they need to help prevent spreading the transmission of HIV. Absolutely. And Mike, I know you really are very passionate about fighting HIV AIDS. So tell us what else you're involved in right now in terms of raising money for the fight. So I regularly participate in an event that's called the AIDS Life Cycle. It's the world's largest HIV AIDS charity event. And what it is, it's a bike ride that starts in San Francisco and goes all the way down to Los Angeles. Uh, I got started volunteering with the, the AIDS Life Cycle during residency. I volunteered on the medical team. So if anybody listening to this podcast thinks that might be something they're interested in, they're always looking for physicians and other healthcare providers. And then the last few years, I've actually participated as a cyclist raising money, which has been a lot of fun. Mike, I just think that's awesome. So a huge thanks to Dr. Kasner for sharing his expertise with us today. If you haven't been talking to your patients about PrEP, I hope this encourages you to start. Here at UC Davis, we're actually starting a new program to help interested patients get access to PrEP and ongoing care directly from the ED. As always, thanks to the UC Davis Department of Emergency Medicine and to OM Productions. See you next time.